0: Chapter 16. I want to share from Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, just a few of these verses. Again, this is a two part message, so I'm just going to share the first uh, few verses of this story from Matthew chapter 16. Verse 13 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And when I started, I'm want i I'm loving this whole story that I will begin to share about Once again, as I began to study this first part, something just hit me right in the gut, and so we're going to focus just on these first few verses. But the first question that Jesus asked here is, who do people say that I am? And I believe this is a question that we love to answer, especially here in America. We love to answer the question about, what are other people saying? What are other people doing? where are those people at we like talking about other people we watch the news because we want to find out what other people are doing we want to there's these celebrity shows that we have that's why social media is such a craze it's because we all want to know what other people are doing now the the negative side to that and i need to address that in the negative side to that is that sometimes we We're looking to see what other people are doing because we want to know, you know, how they're failing. We want to report out there what's going on. And I'm not accusing anybody, but I know there's been times in my life where I had to check myself. I'm like, why are you really paying attention to that situation? What is it about what's going on over there that has your interest? What are you really wanting to know about those is there something inside of you that just feels just a little bit good that those people failed? I can tell you, I can confess this. When it comes to sport, you better believe I watch the news on the teams I dislike. And when I mean dislike, I mean that in spiritual love. I I, 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 I dislike certain teams, obviously. And so this is an easy subject we could talk about. But, yeah, I'm always watching certain teams that I don't like. And if they're not doing good, it's one of these I went through this phase. I don't know if you went through it. I did. Uh, so I found out I was a Michael Jordan fan, not a Chicago Bulls fan. Of course I was cheering for the Chicago Bulls growing up in Joliet, Illinois in the 90s. Of course. And then I went to you know Bible school and then Utah. But still, during that time period, after Michael left, I didn't care if the Bulls won or not. Now, the Chicago Cubs, obviously. Didn't care who the players were, the managers was always a Cubs fan. But when it came to the Bulls, Michael was gone. So I went through this phase of disliking certain NBA players, not for who they are, but for what they did on the court, okay? I know I can get myself in trouble sometimes, so don't quote me that I don't like people. I love all people willing to serve them. But I went through this phase where I'm like, oh, I want this person to lose. I want that team to really lose. If they would just lose, it will make my day. And I think we kind of find ourselves in that in that time period. We definitely live in a society It still catches me off guard when I hear of a news anchor losing his job because of one comment. And I get it. I understand it. But I'm like, you know what? The Bible says be merciful because you will be shown mercy. Who wants to be your job gone just because of one mistake? You make one mistake, you're out of here. And I get it, you know, there's higher standards to much given, much is required. But we live in a society, they're watching out for you. And maybe not you in particular, but they are looking out for people, and when they make a mistake, they're on them. We're going to get you. We're going to report. This is going to be the news for weeks to come. We're going to get after you. You made a mistake. You said something wrong. How could you? It reminds me of that story we went over a few weeks ago where Jesus is presented with a woman who made a mistake, who sinned against God, who broke his commandments, and they said, let's stone her just like the law commands us to. And Jesus said, "Who's ever without sin can start throwing the stones. That's the kind of world I want to live in. Is that the kind of world you want to live in? I want to live in that world where we we keep ourselves in check. And, and so Jesus asked this question, who do people say that I am? And the disciples right away, you, if you notice that text, if you read those details, it says, they said. So it was this moment of everybody saying, oh, Jesus, they said that you're Jeremiah. Oh, Jesus. And another disciple said, you're like Elijah. Oh, Jesus. You're. And so they were all having something to say. Again, representing our human nature. Oh, we can talk about people all day. We can say what they think over there and what they're doing over there. We can do that. And Jesus recognized how fast that the disciples were to answer the question, what do other people are saying? And immediately he changes the tone and he changes the atmosphere in that moment and he says, but who do you say I am? And just for a moment before I get to my main point, I want to just bring that first thought to this thought. Personal responsibility. We need to personally be responsible for our lives first and foremost. May I encourage you. May I challenge you. And may you challenge me. May you hold me accountable that my life and my calling will be that I take care of my life. I I had the privilege of doing some premarital counseling yesterday at the church here. And one of the things I, I talked about is that, in, when we have those disagreements, when we have that miscommunication, right away we're thinking about what that other person in the relationship needs to do. What do they need to fix? And in our life as Christ followers, as 24-7 disciples, our number one job is to work in our life. That's step one. Before I fix them, before I correct them, Before I tell them what they need to fix, you're there to help people, no doubt about it. You're there to keep me accountable, no doubt about it. But our top priority is to make sure our life, my words, my thoughts are in line with the Lord. I have to make sure that I'm doing my part before I fix you or try to help you. I need to do my work. And and so that's got to be the attitude we have. We have to have this attitude because this world we live in, the society we live in, that's not how they function. They don't function in mercy. They don't function in personal responsibility. I've said this before, and this has been an ongoing argument in our country about protest. And this is what I've always said about protest. For me, my protest that I will use energy for is serving people. If you want to know what my preferences are when I come to protesting, I will protest by being a part of serving our community. I was protesting with Terry Borders and others Thursday night by serving children who were going through difficulties. This young boy uh, that I was had the privilege of getting to know and what he was going through in his life, I protest by spending time with him and playing baseball with him in this little grassy area. That's how I protest. And yes, we live in America, so you can choose whatever you want. But, you know, when it comes to it, I have a personal responsibility to do something if there's something I don't like. I hope many of you... I, I, should, I, I some of you are going to protest today and say, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's get a solid color of carpet up there. I'm going to protest, and I'm going to rip some carpet up. That's how I'm going to protest. That's my point this morning. It's not just about pointing fingers and looking at people and looking at that groups. Because even as I say those things, I think in our mind you can start thinking about people and disagreeing with them how they protest, and that's still not my point. My point is not to look at those people who are doing it wrong. My point is not to look at those people and say, ha, huh, we're serving, you're not, we're better. No. The point is being a Christ follower, a disciple. It's taking ownership. And I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, live that way. Take ownership of your life. Take ownership of your actions, of your words. And when you do that, this is what happens. God will use you to help others. That's when you're is really effective. That's when your words to somebody else really matters. And so you have it in here. So Jesus says, but who do you say? And I just wanted to give you this, because this is the way I was picturing this, this story. So Jesus says, who do people say I am? And everybody's like, oh, they're saying this. Oh, they're saying that. And they're all talking. You know, all 12 of them have something to say. And Jesus says, but who do you and I picture that. If you read those verses, it doesn't say anything there, but I picture a pause, because the Bible says first they all were talking, and all of a sudden it's just like crickets. Oh, what do I say? Oh, um, let me think about that, Lord, because you got to remember, we read these stories as if they know everything that's happening. The disciples still were debating. We know you're a rabbi. They were not convinced he was the Messiah. They were still going through that process. You have that information already, but you have to remind yourself they did not. So when he says, but who do you say I am? Again, you know, it could have been offensive. Oh, Jesus, you're a good rabbi. No, 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 no. Jesus had already been stating who he was. He wanted them to repeat it. He wanted them to receive it. He wanted them to believe it. And finally, Peter, he stands up, I think, after a long pause, because the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of his life, and he said, you are the Christ. And I'm going to pause there, because as I was preparing this message, I had just a tremendous burden to challenge you, for each of you to be ready. I want all of us to be ready to share our faith. Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? Why are you here today? You could probably say why I'm here or why the other people are here, but why are you here? Why are you singing songs? Why are you going to be a part of this church? Who do you say Jesus is? And I thought, you know what? I want to have a couple people, I asked a couple people to share just answering that question. They may share their testimony. They may share a testimony but I wanted to challenge you to get to a place where you, each of you, are sharing your faith. You're ready to. You want this. You want to share your faith. So I'm going to invite Lisa Dewar to come up uh, to be first. She's going to share and answer that question. Lisa?
1: must have been thinking when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And with the chosen movie series, it's been a little bit easier, right, Bud? We're having fun watching it at bud, at bud, But here we see the disciples, and they just really weren't getting it. They were so human, and they seemed to be so clueless so much of the time. They're busy looking for a Messiah who is going to politically free them from Rome's tyranny. When Jesus is trying to say, I want to free you internally from the tyranny. God, he started giving a glimpse of it. You are the Christ. He said it. Probably blew all of their minds when he said that. But from the opening words of Genesis to the final words of Revelation, Jesus, the Son of God, takes center stage. Because before the foundations of the world, he was sent to free the world from sin. He is revealed in the Bible as creator, sustainer, redeemer of all things. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is the Lamb of Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 said says that he is the exact representation of who God is. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus and you will know. But besides all of this, and so much more, Jesus to me is the dearest. The dearest of all is that he is my beloved. Solomon in the Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 10, says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. I, me, not just some spiritual giant who seems so much more worthier of such an honor and such a a privilege, but me. I am his beloved. I am, as in right now, not when I get my act together, not when I get good enough, not when I become holy or maybe some future glory. So I am my beloved. It's mine. You see, it's not just ours. It is ours. It's church collectively, but it's so much more. It's He's mine. He's my beloved. He's mine. And I just love that. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And the same for you. He loves you and gave himself for me. Are the incomparable words of the rest of that verse, which says, And his desire is for me. It's one thing to be certain that we're gonna to go to heaven someday, that when we breathe our last, that means we're gonna be present with the Lord, and that is so true. That is a fact, it is going to happen. It's another thing just to know that we are so forgiven of our sins. That's altogether wonderful, and it's essential. But to know in this very moment, in our heart of hearts, that Jesus one actually desires me, loves me, delights in me, and and in you. It's almost too wonderful for words. This hasn't always been my thinking. You see, I received Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I looked in the Bible that I got the day it happened. It said May 30th, 1976. I was 12 years old. I'll never forget it. The children's pastor at the time, he dressed up as Satan. Okay, so all I can tell you is I was scared to death. He's all I remember him saying is, if you don't want to receive Jesus as Lord today, that's okay, because you'll spend eternity with me. (laughs) And I'm like, and then he says, who wants to receive Jesus? Me. Yes, of course I did. I was so scared. Oh, my gosh. Uh, So there was no way that I was not going to receive Jesus that day sad to me is that for a long time, instead of realizing that God was pursuing me because he loved me so much, because he wanted me to be his, instead I was scared into the kingdom. And that took me, I can't tell you how long it's taken me to be able to say, I believe that God loves me. It's really easy for me to believe that he loves you and he loves you and he loves you, but you see, you don't know what's going on. At the time, I felt so screwed up. Like I disappointed him, I didn't pray enough, I didn't do enough for him. So it took a long time, and for many years, I limped along in my spiritual walk because I didn't know my real identity of being beloved. And it wasn't for another 20 years. Now it's 1996. Still a long time ago, right? But I was at a women's conference, and the speaker told me something that hit me between the eyes. She said, "If you do not believe that God loves you just as you are, then you are sinning because the Bible." love, that he loves us with an everlasting love. And I knew at that moment that I had to let go of the lie that I was believing, that I was unlovable to God, and I had to start believing by faith that he was. And I had to start confessing it, even if I didn't really feel it inside. Nothing really changed, like, instantaneous. It took time. It was a process. But gradually, as I spent more and more time reading his word, as I started memorizing it, as I kept looking up. Did he really love me? And I find verse after verse after verse. Yes, he does. He does. And now I'm so excited to tell you. As sure as I'm standing here today, I believe that the Holy Godhead is just absolutely crazy in love with me, and that is a miracle. And then He's they're crazy in love with all of you. It's not just me. Paul in Romans eight verses thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Tara alluded it to it earlier, but you have. Words in the Passion Translation, Romans 8, 38, and 39. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that His love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken His love. There's no power above us, no power beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can even weaken his love for us. Last night, I was taking a walk outside. It was like 8.30 at night, and it was still so warm and balmy out, and I just was having such a good, slow, nice walk. But it took me just exactly like this, me and my two sisters, we would take a bath, we'd get our jammies on, we'd go outside on the swing, and we had this big double swing, and my mom would stand there, and she would just push us. It felt like hours, and we would just sing song after song after song at the top of our lungs, and I felt so loved, and I felt so secure as I was thinking back to those times. It was so sweet. First John 1, verse 3 says, Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. This is the truth of who we are. This is our true identity. We are loved. We can sing at the top of our lungs. We are loved. We are safe. It is my prayer for all of us that we live life fully confident that we are his beloved. This is who Jesus is for us. This is what he died. To us, he is the lover of our soul.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Bill, come on up. He is double-duty it today. He's earning his check. He was down with the kids, and now he's up here with you. So if he starts, you know, doing kids' things, it's... Yeah.
2: <laughs> good morning. So when Pastor Sid asked me to talk about Jesus, that's a pretty well, I'll just say everything she said. All right, all right, all right. No, um, so think about what Jesus means to me. I mean, obviously, he's our Savior, and he's our King. Um, thinking back, I, we should go all the way back to the beginning. So I was raised in a Christian family, so I was in church like from day one. So we had a little joke in Sunday school. Like, I don't know if anybody would remember this or not. Sunday school, if we, if there's a teacher who asked us a question and we didn't know the answer, we would always say Jesus, because it probably was the answer. But anyway, um, but so I, I've I became a Christian. I, I submitted my life to Christ. Um, probably my teenage years. Um, but what the word that kept coming back to me, thinking about what Jesus means to me, is was the word constant. So He has been a constant. In But he's, been, he's a constant with us all the time. When you accept Christ in your life, he walks with you, and he's, he's always ever-present. It says in Hebrews that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. And so it's really something, it's a beautiful thing, it's something we don't think about all that often. But when Jesus in John 14 was um, talking to his disciples right before he left this earth, He was preparing them for the shock of him not being with them, because he was with them for three years. And he said um, that unless I go away, the Comforter cannot come, the Holy Spirit. And um, so in, in John 14 it says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Deep in our hearts, there is God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and He's, he's he gives us a constant source of peace, no matter what we're going through, you know, through all the trials and tribulations and struggles of life, he's He's always, he's a constant in our just, i'm so thankful for that and one one last thought is that you know th- when things are constant in our lives those are the things we don't appreciate as much we take kind of take for granted like you know you don't you don't appreciate your job as much as when you're like threatened to lose it or you, you don't appreciate your health until you're not feeling well and so i think it's the same thing with god and his presence in our lives like we just God is the God is the giver of all. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from God, our, our Father. So he's, He permeates our lives. And uh, that's all I have to say. Amen.
0: Thank you. I invite the team to come up at this time. Wow. God is so good. Please stand. I hope today has been a good example of just a good challenge for you to be ready to share your faith Lisa, Phil, thank you for taking that time. Reached out to them on Monday. Phil had a busy week with family. But the reality is we should all be ready, right? The Bible does encourage us, be ready to share your faith. And I want you to know that's not my job. That's our calling. Our calling is to share our faith with the world. That is what our calling is. And obviously, all of you don't have to come up with a microphone to do that. That's why I didn't call all of you up. But we are all called to be ready when we're out there in the stores, in our, at our homes, in our jobs, wherever we are at. Be ready to say, who is Jesus to you? And what a, what a powerful statement that you made there, Phil, that we can take it for granted because he He's always been there for us. He hasn't ever left us. He's never forsaken us. And we can take that for granted. And I hope that you don't take for granted the ability to pray, your Bible, the words of life, the, the solutions to world problems, you have them. The answers your bosses are looking for, you've got them. This society is looking for answers. We have the answers and sometimes we're not into it because we've taken it for granted. Oh, it's, it's the Bible. I've read it already. Oh, it's the Bible. I'll get to it. Oh, it's the Bible. I I know what it says. Wow, no, no, no. That's not the attitude. It's the Bible. The words of life. It's Jesus. It's the son of God who died on the cross for my sins. I can pray I am able to read the Bible. Thank you, Lord. I can't wait. And when you're doing that, that builds a relationship with Christ. And when you have that relationship, you're going to be ready to share it. So, Father, just work in our hearts. Work in our lives, Lord, as we worship you, as we honor you, as we give you the highest praise. May we now, oh God, just enter a, just a moment here of worshiping you, of drawing closer to you. May we not take for granted what we have this morning. That we have you, we have your presence.